Well, now's the time for kids to come up and say hello to Swamiji and Davy Man. if you'd like to bring your parents with you. them now. Shiva. 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 Hello, Shiva. Harvey, Ocean, and Leo. Harvey, Ocean, and Leo. You said Amali and Raph? I said Amali and Raph. I'll say it again. <laughs> Are you getting excited about going to Ganeshpur, you guys? Arjuna. 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 Ah, there. I'm talking, talking the wrong place. Hello. 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 Okay, very nice. Very good chance, no? Yeah. <clears throat> I think we were rivaling the Hare Krishnas there in the last part of that. That's the Hare Krishna style. Right, very nice. They're very good at chanting. <clears throat> so, so I'd like to begin by quoting uh, my guru, as I always do who used to begin his programs by saying in Hindi, the person would say, where's my timer? Yes. Then he'd say, Sabko. Very good. <laughs> with great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And that was the essence of his spirituality, he would even say the essence of his uh, message. So with great love and respect, I welcome you. We're coming to the end of uh, another year, and um, while we're away in India, we'll have the anniversary of the ashram. How many years? 27 years in this site, but we, we've been here in uh, running the ashram for over 30 years now, so very good. <clears throat> and um, we're going to be going uh, to Ganeshpuri. A sizable number of those in the audience here will be going to Ganeshpuri, which is the, uh, the home of our lineage. Uh, Baba Muktananda had uh, his ashram just outside of the town of Ganeshpuri, and I uh, did sadhana there for three years in the early 70s. It was powerful, wonderful, 
ashram and quite, uh, shall we say, a growth experience. Uh, it was, uh, it was a, a combination of bliss and torture, and that's the way spiritual work should be. <clears throat> the, the bliss part is when you connect to the, the highest truth, and the torture part is when your own resistance and ignorance and fear and anger and jealousy and all those other lovely qualities come up. Of course, I didn't have any of those to begin with, but I developed them over the years. Um, and then down the road, we used to walk down the road and uh, a kilometer away was the village of Ganeshpuri where Bhagwan Nityananda's Samadhi Shrine is, Bhagwan Nityananda Baba's Guru. <clears throat> and so we're going to be going there and staying in the village and uh, doing programs there and uh, uh, experiencing the subtle inner delights of the place. It's a magical place. So while we're away, those of you who are here, you're responsible for keeping Nashram going. So you have to come here and support the programs and then you'll hear reports about what's going on in Ganeshpuri and by the end of January we'll be back with uh, all of that. So as, uh, as Lilavati said, <clears throat> um, it, this is it's my habit to give a yearly message, usually in the first satsang in the new year, but uh, I'll be gone. So this is in the last satsang of the old year, I'll give the message for 2024. But what I do is I do a little uh, reprise of some of the best things that we looked at over the year. And so I'll go over some of them and then I'll get to the message. <clears throat> I have a few things I selected from Baba and also a few notes from the tea shop. So these are things that we visited during the year and I thought they'd be worth hearing again. <clears throat> Question to Baba Muktananda. Said, a math student may pursue math with great effort uh, but if he has no innate aptitude for math, he will not attain anything. Isn't this true of students of spirituality? If so, how do I know I have what it takes? You think there's such a thing as spiritual talent? It's a good question. <clears throat> well, it's both uh, true, yes and no. Baba says, <clears throat> a student of spirituality should have a burning desire to attain God. A burning desire. Sri Ramakrishna used to uh, give the analogy of a person whose head was put under water and the desire he had for breath uh, would be like the, a, a great seeker has for, to know the, the truth. <clears throat> and so uh, that's a lot. Um, it's called scripturally mumakshutva, the, the desire for liberation, where you just can't stand being trapped in your own ignorance, your own ego, your own narrowness, your own paranoia, your own worries and jealousies and fears, and this disgusting little con uh, contracted little mental and emotional space that you live in, and you say, I've got to get out of here then you have Mumakshutva. Uh, <clears throat> so he says, no artist, no matter what his field, can attain anything without losing himself in his art. 
In the same way, you can attain God only if you lose yourself in his love. The moment you have a burning desire, he appears before you. God is right within you. Why can't you see him? It's because we don't have a burning desire. However, once your Shakti has been awakened, if you keep meditating and chanting and reading the scriptures, through God's grace, you'll develop an interest in attaining God. So once you have the awakening, the awakening doesn't mean you automatically are filled with that. It can be just a little trickle, but you can grow that. And gradually your interest centers more and more because you realize that it's the core of what life is about. It's the central business. <clears throat> your interest will create an, ap an aptitude within and will eventually give rise to a burning desire for God. That burning desire will show you the path of sadhana, or spiritual practice. will show you the right path to go on, whether it be the path of wisdom, or the path of devotion, or the path of karma yoga works, uh, service, so on. Whatever the right path, you'll discover. Really speaking, everyone has the same self within them. Everyone has inner consciousness. Every, everyone has God within themselves. Since this is the case, to say that someone does not have an aptitude for spirituality is wrong. Everyone has the potential. Some will realize it sooner and some later. That's the only difference. That last line is the profound line. Some will, will uh, realize it sooner and some later. <clears throat> that's the only difference. You know, if, you, uh, if you're absorbed in this activity and that activity and this uh, kind of karmic loop and that karmic loop, you've got other business, not, you don't have time for spirituality. And so you go about your business trying to fulfill your desires and attain whatever you want to attain in the outer world. Uh, and then gradually, over the course of many lifetimes, or a few lifetimes, you get to the core of it. Then you suddenly decide it's time to cut out the crap, stop um, screwing around, and get to the, the, the nub of it, and practice spirituality sincerely. So you get there. But everybody gets there. That's the, the beauty of it. And you don't have to push yourself. You can go along at what I used to call the marathoner's pace. You don't have to sprint to the goal. Another one, question to Baba. What was your meeting with Bhagwan Nityananda like? Baba, when I met my guru, Baba Nityananda, for the first time, I was without any worthwhile inner realization. Although I practiced different forms of yoga with devotion and discipline. He's being very modest, but he'd been practicing for uh, 20 years or something like that. And he'd practiced all kinds of things, studied all the different philosophies. And he was already regarded as a, a yogi of attainment, and he had people come to him for wisdom and teaching. But he knew there was a, a hole in his realization, a lack. He hadn't quite got something. <clears throat> and then when he met Bhagavan Nityananda, Here's what he says. He says but, but the minute I came into his presence, Baba Nityananda caused something to happen inside me. 
So in our terms, he received Shaktipat. The inner awakening took place. The transmission of energy, of power, or wisdom from the guru to the disciple took place. Later, he gave me a pair of wooden sandals directly from his feet. He writes about all this in, in Play of Consciousness. He also spoke to me. I felt as though his words had entered my inner being. The Muktananda appeared the same from outside. From within, he was completely transformed. The, I had, in, in my sadhana, I had that experience with Baba, where on one occasion he answered a question of mine, and it was as though his words entered me as visceral things, and I could feel them working inside of me. Extraordinary, extraordinary way. Oh, is that for me? If it's for me, I'll, I'll get back to them later. <laughs> That's okay. <clears throat> huh? Okay. You're excused. If, you were, if you're under 20, you have to be on top of these devices. But in our age group, you know, they, they are, we're overwhelmed by them. <laughs> you know, don't know how they go off in your hand. They do things. God knows what they do. <clears throat> the Chinese, the Russians, they control us. <clears throat> Baba says, that day I discarded the doctrine of the sufficiency of self-effort. I experienced the value of the Guru's grace. Since then, I've emphasized it to everyone. And that was his main, one of his main things is talk about Shaktipat and to give Shaktipat. He gave Shaktipat so liberally, he would take basically a thousand people off the street and give them Shaktipat in a weekend and sent them out reeling into the street, dazed and confused. And <laughs> he says, I knew 60 great teachers, but my inner Shakti was awakened by Nityananda alone. He was my true guru. The guru has done his work if he's awakened your inner Shakti. But that doesn't mean there's no place for self-effort. Self-effort and the guru's grace are like the two wings of a bird. The bird, the bird needs both to fly. Grace and self-effort, both of them. <clears throat> the Upanishadic seers who say, O seeker of liberation, go to a master who is well-versed in all the scriptures. Shrotriya means he knows the, the essence of the scriptures and also has had a direct experience of God, Brahmanishta. <clears throat> they, well, the, these Upanishadics say that. Go to a master who understands the traditions, the teachings, and who also has direct experience. So, let's see, I have uh, one more from Baba. The wonderful one. This is a very significant one for me. I don't know how you'll relate to it. <clears throat> Baba, somebody asked Baba, how does one please the guru? And Baba answered in such a way that it blew my mind because turned it around and I suddenly saw something. Baba says, you don't have to please the guru. If you become pleased with the guru, the guru is automatically pleased with you. <clears throat> the guru is ever fulfilled. The guru is ever content. He is swaying in joy and ecstasy 
All his desires have been gratified. So how can be, there be a question of pleasing him when he's swaying in inner bliss all the time? If the disciple finds that he has become fully pleased with the guru, then he should feel that the guru has also become perfectly pleased with him. There's one thing the guru really wants is, is the disciple to be open and pleased with the guru. That's what the guru wants. He wants everyone to be open and to move towards growth and towards inner transformation. It is a disciple's pleasure in the guru, which is of far greater significance than the guru's pleasure with the disciple. That's why Baba used to talk about uh, the concept, not of guru's grace, but of disciple's grace. He said disciple's grace is much more important than guru's grace. Guru's grace is always there, but the disciple's grace means the openness of the student to receive. The transmission is always there, but we only receive it a little or nothing because of our attitude, our resistance, and so on. So he said that's much more important. He says, even if the guru is pleased and the disciple is not pleased, the disciple, if the disciple is bitter with the guru, then the guru's pleasure would not be able to help the disciple at all. So that's something interesting, isn't it? You like that or is that? <clears throat> so I always uh, remembered that, and I, um, I, if I ever started getting pissed off at Baba, I tried to inquire in myself what it was, and I tried to move away from that. And then I found that I could really enjoy him. And when I was loving Baba, I saw that I didn't have to do any other sadhana. I just had to be in that space, and that's satsang with him. <clears throat> so I have a few now um, uh, from uh, notes from the tea shop. You may call me an egotist, but I, I'm reprising a few of the notes from the tea shop. These are uh, my own writings and dharnas and practices on the spiritual path. And you know, uh, we have a member of the satsang, that's Yogi Sri. And uh, he's written a novel, a science fiction novel. And I just saw the, an advanced copy. It's not the print, it's a, what do you call it, a proof copy? An advanced reading, and it's a real book now, but it's not out yet. So I became very jealous. And I thought, <laughs> I have to produce a book this year because he'll go over the top, his ego will swell up. <laughs> and that book will be on number one on the New York Times bestseller list, and he'll be lionized everywhere. And, and uh, I thought, what about me? So, <laughs> so I thought, but, so the book, uh, Notes from the Tea Shop, will be coming out by, by Guru Purnima, I think. So, <clears throat> what's that? Yeah. <clears throat> so these are a couple of notes from the tea shop. This is called The Real Meaning of a Philosopher. And it says, real philosophy is doing. What kind of doing? Work on oneself, sadhana. Thus, the real philosopher is one who does sadhana. So, of course, from, uh, uh, from the academic point of view, this was a revelation to me. The whole idea of sadhana was a revelation. I used to think everything was about intellectualizing, comparing and contrasting, as they say on all those exams. 
you know, and then the history of ideas, you know, but not actually transforming yourself, working on your emotions, working on your inner being. I never knew that idea. That was never taught. So a real philosopher is one who lives it and is transformed by it. Comment. Real philosophy is not a mental exercise. It is visceral. Through sadhana, we give body to our thought. And of course, this is called second education. I was involved in first education for so many years, which is intellectual or conventional education. But second education is sadhana, is, is working on ourselves. <clears throat> Another one called uh, The Laws of the Guru-Disciple Relationship. You don't want that one, do you? Okay, here you go. <clears throat> the laws of the Guru-Disciple Relationship are practical. They facilitate the transmission of shakti from the guru to disciple. After transmission, there should be flow. There should be an open flow of energy, just like currents in the line. Um, if the student is too inflated or too contracted, there is no flow, but rather a block. So there are two ways. You can be too contracted or you can be too full of yourself. And either way, you block the, the energy. The guru will always be aware of the block. His response, whether it is gentle or severe, is always for the good of the disciple so that the block can be removed and grace can flow properly. So it's always to open that channel. Now, we live in a, a tender age. And now you have to, if, if I were back in the university, I would have to give trigger warnings before every word out of my mouth. You know, uh, everybody's so um, triggered. But in the old days of sadhana, those gurus were ruthless. They were murderous. They would destroy your ego cruelly. Now gurus are very sweet and nice. They speak gently. They don't do anything particularly me. I'm very sweet and nice. <clears throat> and um, I always think of uh, the, the book um, Milarepa, the yogi, the... Um, Tibetan yogi, Milarepa's guru, was one heavy son of a bitch. <laughs> he, um, he had Milarepa build buildings, and then he would come right at the end and say, oh, there's something wrong with that, rip it down. And this went on through nine buildings. And, and one, he got right to the end, and he said, it's perfect, it's just, there's just one... Uh, stone you have to remove, and that was the central stone, so removing it meant the whole building had to fall down. And then finally, Milarepa was so freaked out, he ran away. He even went to the guru's wife and said, please, you know, he's horrible to me. And the guru's wife went and, and uh, spoke to the guru and said, come on, you know, give the guy a break. But the guru was impractical, so he ran away. <clears throat> And then the guru later told him, said, if you'd just done that last building, you would have been realized. <laughs> this is a true story. I don't know if it's a true story, but it's a story that's the life of Milarepa. Anybody read it? It's a cautionary. Isn't that cool? The modern one like that is um, about uh, Irina Tweedy uh, called the 
the chasm of fire, which I call the masochism of fire. She's just the guru fried her. <clears throat> How did I get on this trail here? Um, so, um, so then he said, now you're going to have to meditate for 20 years and in a cave and starve yourself by eating only nettles. And so he did, but anyway, it became realized in the end. And he wrote a very good book that has scared people to death for years. He was a murderer. I, that, I didn't mention that. Yes, I didn't, I didn't mention that. Yeah, he was a he was a a, a, a black magician, Milarepa, and he had cities powers, and he killed people, so he had a huge amount of sins they had to expiate for. <clears throat> it's like you know being a member of the Third Reich or something. You know you have to expiate, and so uh, for that reason he had to do all of these things. The guru guru told him, that's why you had to do all this stuff to equalize the karma. <clears throat> but he didn't, uh, he eventually got there. So there's hope for everybody. You may have killed people. You may have been cruel to your beloved, cruel to your children, cruel to your parents, cruel to your spouse. Build a house and tear it down. Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> I got a couple more since I do these. <laughs> Uh, here's one I really like. This is a meditative one. It says, all thoughts float around you in the atmosphere like radio signals in the air. Now think about that. You know, all these radio signals, you know, there's so many radio stations, television stations, broadcasting, they're all up in the air somewhere. The cloud, you know, what the hell is the cloud? It's, <laughs> so much stuff is in the cloud. It's up there in the cloud. So all these things. And just like that, just like that, all these thoughts are in the air somewhere. They're there. And so, <clears throat> next point. Which frequencies do you allow or pull in? Which ones do you pull in to your brain, to your thought? <clears throat> and this is how we create our own reality. All the thoughts are floating there. But the ones we pick, we actually pick them. Now, of course, we pick them unconsciously. We pick really bad thoughts, what I call tearing thoughts, self-hatred and all that kind of stuff. We do it because we don't know any better. But we actually do, can develop choice. We, we can think healthy and uplifting thoughts. <clears throat> and the, the main point is we have choice. We should look and see what thoughts we're pulling in out of all the billions of thoughts that are there, you know, you can pull in CNN, you can pull in Fox News. <laughs> Many things you can pull in. <clears throat> so, so what do you pull in? We have choice. And we should develop that choice and think healthy thoughts. We worry about our food. We worry about whether we're eating gluten or not. Or all these things. But are we eating thoughts full of gluten? <laughs> it's much worse. Glutinous thoughts are much worse than a piece of bread. <laughs> and believe me. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Gluten-free thoughts. 
All right, okay, that's enough. I'm going to talk about my message for 2024. Uh, what? Gluten, it should be, think gluten-free thoughts. <laughs> they bring you, they, they're thick, and they bring you down, make you heavy and stupid. So don't think gluten, glutinous thoughts, and they're like a paste. They paste up your nerves, your nadis. They paste it up so the Shakti can't move. So have gluten-free thoughts. You can eat a little gluten at lunch, but don't have glutinous thoughts. Okay, that's my message. <laughs> and now the previously prepared message. <laughs> so the first thing I was going to ask, what was my message for last year? But Leela Bhatti already told us. Because you wouldn't have guessed it, would you? Curate, you didn't remember that? <clears throat> I was thinking of that. And I was thinking also of the one a couple of years ago, which was Cherish Your Awakening. <clears throat> and the awakening is so important and so life-transforming, yet it can be very subtle. You can overlook it. You can devalue it. It's easy to ignore it. Uh, so it's very important to cherish it, to value it, to make it a part of your daily experience. Gurdjieff used to say that spiritual energy is very easily lost. It's the easiest energy lost. You know, you can, you can, you can be, say, an intensive and you're full of joy and bliss. You come out and somebody says something nasty to you and you lose everything in that moment. And you're miserable. <clears throat> so, uh, anyway, that leads to this year's message. Let me begin with something from Bhagwan Nityananda, also something that I looked at this, one his fav my favorite of his statements. Bhagwan says, if water is heated in a tightly closed vessel, in a pot, let's say, all the heat energy is held in. Water flows from the pump, making the ohm sound. That's about Bhagwan Nityananda. That's not objective science, I don't think. I've listened to the pumps. But Bhagwan Nityananda observed the universe that way he heard an ohm from, you know. <clears throat> but this is the main point. Abandon the wild jungle path. Take the royal road. Take the downward moving energy and move it upward. The mind should know its place. The mind should help that process. Take the royal road. Take the downward moving energy and move it up. <clears throat> so my message for 2024 is this. Oh man, Oh woman, oh yogi, go the way of the Shakti. Go the way of the Shakti. Take the royal road. <clears throat> go the way of the Shakti. This path is called Siddhi Yoga. 
It's called Maha Kundalini Yoga. It's called Shiva Yoga. It's called Purna or the Perfect Yoga. Uh, essentially, it's the way of the Shakti. Uh, this is the royal road. Shemaraj, one of the great <coughs> sages of Shaivism, who's pictured there as the student, and that's Abhinavagupta, the great uh, scholar and sage of Shaivism, lecturing, and one of the disciples at his feet is Shemaraj, who became a great sage in his own right. <coughs> Shemaraj's great statement sums it up in two lines. It gives the whole yoga. He says, I am Shakti Daridra Samsari Uchyate. Sva Shakti Vikase Tu Shiva Eva. Sanskrit. I am Shakti Daridra Samsari Uchyate. He, she, is a bound soul who has poverty of Shakti, who's lacking in energy, spiritual energy. Sva Shakti Vikase Tu Shiva Eva. But unfolding his latent inner energy, he becomes Shiva himself. <clears throat> Wonderful, it's the whole story. Why do we have poverty of Shakti? Bad thinking, bad habits, going in the wrong direction. There are leaks. From a yogic point of view, there are leaks. When we get angry, we lose our shakti, we leak. We get jealous, we have a leak. When we get uh, greedy, we leak. When we get, what else? When we, when we hate ourselves, terrible, terrible leak. Uh, you know, when, uh, what other things that leak? Self-pity. Self, oh, self-pity. Uh, we, we leak. When we're full of desire, frustrated desire for things we can't attain and feel dissatisfied, chronic dissatisfaction. That's a hell itself. You know, Dante went to hell and he saw all the different places in hell and there's one place in hell where all the people who are dissatisfied live. And they're all going, ah, like that. <laughs> so, what? Yeah, well, anyway, <clears throat> so so a great yogi finds the shakti, the spiritual energy, every place, in every situation, every moment. This is a tantric approach, seeing God everywhere. And he should always go towards the increasing shakti. So to walk the way of the shakti is to constantly look for that. <clears throat> when, when we say that this choice or that person or that situation has more shakti and the other one has less shakti, that's how we say. We say, we have a choice. Go this way, go that way. This one has more shakti and the other one has less shakti. But the real truth is that shakti is an inner event. It's an inner event. The shakti is an inner GPS it tells you, it gives you feedback inside. It tells you when you're moving in the right direction. If you are moving in a direction that, then you feel miserable and full of self-hatred and weakness and I can't do it and all that, 
It means your inner GPS is telling you you're moving in the wrong direction. And you should come and have someone help you do the process uh, or meditate or do something, come to satsang and try to start to move in the right direction. When I was, uh, before I went to India, I was definitely shakti-less. And I felt the misery of it and the, and I just knew that I had to go find a teacher. I didn't have this not kind of knowledge, but I knew I had to go find somebody who could straighten me out. And this is what he taught me. <clears throat> in my day in Ganeshpuri, in the ashram, people would sometimes get a flash of the blue pearl, which Baba talked about. And when they made the right choice, they'd say, I just saw the blue pearl. You ever have that experience? Or the flash of blue light some people have? Uh, this happened all the time. They'd say, I just saw the blue pearl. I must be right. That must be right. I'm moving in the right direction. <clears throat> so, Seeing the blue pearl. Have you ever had that experience? <laughs> yeah. I don't think it means anything. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you give the rest of the talk. I quit. <laughs> you don't. You don't believe that. If you see the blue pearl, it means you're moving in the right direction. Okay, never mind. You're very evolved. Yes. <laughs> so, seeing the blue pearl is a way of knowing that you're going in the right direction. It's a sign. Let's assume it's. <laughs> oh, I never would have said that if I knew you. Were no, no, I don't. I <laughs> but there are other ways of, of knowing. You don't have to see the blue pearl. Uh, a feeling of upliftment, a feeling of energy, a rush of love, a feeling of harmony or peace, uh, even a sudden insight like, ah, now I understand. Have you had those experiences? That's a sign from within that the inner Shakti is pleased that you're moving in the right direction. Going the way of the Shakti is the same as Bhagavan Nityananda called Bhavana Rako, the same as what I call seeking the clear space of good feeling. Uh, it's also following what we say here, following the upward shift, the upward shift of energy. And it's also about your relationship with the guru and with your own self. <clears throat> These are all different perspectives on the same thing. A yogi of the way of Shakti always asks himself or herself, does this choice bring greater or less Shakti, greater or less peace, greater or less harmony, greater or less love, greater or less energy? Does this bring me closer to or further away from the Shakti or from God or from the inner self? Does this way of holding things produce a feeling full of shakti or the feeling of lack of shakti, dryness, emptiness. <clears throat> On the way of the shakti, these considerations are always paramount. Every moment, every event, we should be aware of whether we are closer to the shakti or further away. And this is for each of us to evaluate in our inner world all the time. 
whether we're expanding in divinity or becoming contracted. We should evaluate this honestly and clearly and then have the self-discipline to make the right choice, the choice towards the Shakti. However you interpret it, it might be a feeling of harmony, a feeling of aliveness, a feeling of joy, a feeling of love. All these are, are the same thing. <clears throat> this is the way of the Shakti. So my message for 2024 is simply this. Oh, yogi, <clears throat> go the way of the Shakti. With every thought, with every feeling, with every action, go the way of the Shakti. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and uh, it's something that I always try to do. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you're not 100% successful. But uh, think about it. Contemplate it. Think about what that, that means. Because it's the essence of what real, the inner spirituality is about. And it's a way towards upliftment, towards transforming your life from a life of suffering and lack to a life of fullness and joy. And that's the, that's the gift that the great beings give us. And so uh, let's meditate for 10 minutes. Let's contemplate that. This is an inner thing. <clears throat> and, um, you know, the way the Shakti shows up inside you is completely unique. That's why Devi Ma was being funny about the blue pearl. Uh, you don't have to see a blue pearl. You don't have to see uh, Lord Krishna dancing or um, uh, any particular thing or Jesus uh, on the cross or whatever uh, preconception you have. But there will be a way that the self or that divinity shows itself to you. It might be uh, as a feeling of love harmony, of empowerment, of joy, peace, all of these things. And these things are not attached to externals. We attach them to externals, but they actually come from within. And if we find the, the way, the access point to that, we can unlock the door to that within ourselves through meditation, through contemplation. So let's go the way of the Shakti and turn within and meditate for 10 minutes. And know that that great power, that great joy is within every one of us. There's not one of us that it's left out of because we wouldn't be alive without the power of consciousness. And so we simply have to look with some intentionality, look within and let that power grow. So we'll meditate now for 10 minutes. And once again, with great love and respect and um, wishing you great joy and uh, not quite saying goodbye because we have tomorrow's yagna um, but wishing you well and let's all walk the way of the shakti let us grow so we come back next year at the same time we can say that in this year i have grown closer to the shakti closer to myself closer to god 
closer to joy, closer to a feeling of fulfillment, closer to peace. Let's be able to say that a year from now. And let's meditate now for 10 minutes. Once again, with great love and respect, I welcome you all with all my heart. Sakuna, Let's meditate.